0: that's it alright where is our outro it's under the outro part
1: everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Todd Mack. And I'm Joe Dorowski. And this week we're discussing Miffany Thomas from the novel The Rook by Daniel O'Malley.
0: And this has been a request from Todd Mack for about two and a half years.
1: Yes. Uh, I. So I heard about this novel on podcasts of a long time ago, and uh, and I thought, oh, that sounds like a cool book. I would like to read it. And uh, so I put it on the schedule. And then I think that you interpreted that as meaning that
0: I had read this book and I really liked it. It was one of your favorite books and you (laughs) wanted us to talk about it. And it's been, it was one of the first books that we discussed doing on the podcast and it's just been kicked down the schedule for more than a year, probably almost two and a half years uh, at this point. And so finally I was like, there's a firm date. We're doing the Rook. Todd, aren't you excited we're going to talk about this book? And you told me, yes, I'm so excited to read it. And I was like, what? (laughs) You've never read this book that you've been asking us to do. Yeah. So uh, we both went into this totally blind. Yep. And I loved it. Good. Spoiler.
1: Uh, I did too. Um, So just a quick quick synopsis about this book. It is called The Rook. It was written by Daniel O'Malley and released in 2012. And it tells a mystery slash conspiracy story exploring the inner workings of a secret British government agency that deals with supernatural threats. And uh we both uh listened to the audible version of this.
0: Yeah, and it, it was one of my favorite narrators ever. uh It was Susan Dude did the narration for that that audiobook, and her ability to do the emotion of the line deliveries to do the character voices and accents it was It was just a great performance that I'm sure I would have liked the book reading it, but hearing those voices elevated it for me:
1: I agree it, it It's a better book,
0: I think. Uh, listening to it. And I think, having written the summary, I would have struggled reading the book because so many of these names, there's Welsh names, and there's Belgian names, and there's a lot of letters next to each other that you, I'm not used to Lots seeing. Of consonants. As, as an American <laughs> reader, I'm not used to seeing these letters in connection with each other. And I think I might have struggled to read it for a while to like, feel like I was in the groove, but as an audiobook, I had no problem with that at all.
1: Just for example, Miffany is spelled M-Y-F-A-N-W-Y.
0: And imagine that name multiple times on a page. I think I would have struggled a little bit. Yeah. Thankfully, it's written
1: somewhere very early on that says Miffany rhymes like Tiffany. So yeah.
0: It, within the first page, I think it says, pronounce it like Tiffany, but
1: with an M. So speaking of Audible, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that you like to take advantage of your on-the-go time. There's also a good chance that you enjoy reading great books. And if this is the case for you, I encourage you to go over to audibletrial.com slash protagonist And check out the incredible offering of audiobooks available through Audible. So, uh, I want to just tell you how Audible works. Uh, First thing is, your first month is free. And that means you get one free audiobook that's yours to keep forever. You can choose from any audiobook from Audible's unmatched selection of fiction and nonfiction. They have bestsellers, new releases, mysteries, thrillers, romance, sci-fi, and more. That's uh, over 180,000 titles to choose from. And they have the most popular books and the best narrators, as we've said. If you want to listen to some uh, the Harry Potter audiobook that everyone's raving about, Sorcerer's Stone, free. Need to feed your period romance, Pride and Prejudice, free. We are talking about hours and hours and hours of entertainment, absolutely free. Uh, point number three, uh, you have more time for books because you download the Aud- Audible app, you can listen to, on your commute, you can listen while you're walking the dog or on a run, or doing chores, and now suddenly you have more time to uh, to read great books, or enjoy great books. And then final point is, uh, you never pay full price for audiobooks again. Uh, a regular priced audiobook is pretty expensive.
0: Often $30, 40 $50.
1: Easy. Uh, after thirty days, uh, your Audible is fourteen ninety five a month, and you get one monthly credit uh, that's good for any audiobook, and that guarantees you one book to read
0: every month. So, on your Audible app, at any point you can go buy a book <clears throat> for its Audible price, uh, which is usually like twenty percent off of the list price. I think sure. is what Audible always has been listed. So, if you just say, 30, "I really," it's thirty percent off. Oh, thirty percent off! If you say, "Like I really need to go listen to a book now," I don't have a credit. Go get it now. But every month that you're subscribed to Audible, you automatically get a credit that's good for any book of any price that's in the entire selection. So
1: every month on the 15th, I get one credit and I go and get a book. And it's usually the next book that we're going to do on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, But it's awesome. So this is a great deal. Uh, If you don't like a book, you can return it within 365 days and exchange it for another. So if you start a book and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm old enough to be reading this book or, (laughs) oh, oh, this book is really boring and I want to... Uh, die every time I listen to it. Then just give it back and get a new one, and it costs you nothing. Return uh... that Thomas Hardy book right away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a great deal. So if you're interested in this, uh, you can go to audibletrial.com/protagonist and uh, sign up for a free one month trial. Joe, do you have some trivia for us?
0: I do. Not a whole lot, um, because this is Daniel O'Malley's debut novel. And he has published this novel and a sequel called Stiletto that was released in 2016. Those are his only two publications up to this date. Um, The Rook won the 2012 Aurelius Aurealis Award, which is an Australian award for Best Speculative Fiction. I don't know that I pronounced that right either time. And (laughs) O'Malley is an Australian writer. And uh, last year, I believe it was, Hulu announced that they will be adapting the novel for television, but I could not find anything after the announcement that they had the rights oh, to adapt it for television. So I dead. don't know how imminent that series is at this point. Okay. Um, Before we get into the full synopsis, just for readers, like, we, we gave that quick synopsis. How would you describe the tone, though, for anyone who's like, I don't know if I want to go spend an Audible credit on The Rook or go, you know, buy the the book on Amazon or anything? Well, the first thing I would say is this is not a book for kids. Yes, I think there's a dozen F-bombs. So if you get the Audible book and you're driving in the car with kids, you might not want to put, <laughs> put this book on. Um, the second thing that I would say...
1: So sometimes when people are describing books, they'll say it's this meets this meets this. So this feels to me like... I don't know why I keep thinking about Night Circus, but it kind of feel there's something about it that feels like Night Circus maybe because of the magic and the um the kind of the supernatural element um it's a great like kind of noir story meets the x men meets like comedy i don't know jo- ghostbusters Josh Whitten, <laughs> ghostbusters or something yeah it's really it's it's just kind of weird. But it's really... <laughs> it's laugh know, out loud funny really? at times, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it has this great uh, protagonist. Uh, Miffany is totally memorable. Uh, she seems really fleshed out. Um, you like her. You're rooting for her. I don't know. What would you
0: say? Uh, I was thinking, um, like, the tone of a Neil Gaiman story, but with some of that humor of a Joss Whedon, you know, interjected in. Yeah. Um, Like... The, just some absurd supernatural things, but some recognition of that absurdity and having some fun with with that at the same time. It has
1: elements of so many different things. But I would like say totally, said, yeah, absolutely, like like Gaiman or Morgan Stern. but there's also like, it's kind of like Fringe, it's kind of like The X-Files, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a lot of things, but it's never at any point feels like a ripoff. It doesn't feel derivative
0: at all. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but high high recommendation. If, if any of those are in your wheelhouse, any of those things that we were just <laughs> saying, you should... Go get your hands on the rock. Yeah.
1: Um, And just quickly before we jump into our long synopsis, uh, we would invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar a month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all Patreons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Joseph, will you please give us the long synopsis of this Take a little drink before. Uh, And you might want to buckle up, uh, folks, because this is quite a story.
0: Okay, I'm going to say, I loved this book, and there's some fabulous world-building that I just cut out of the synopsis (laughs) entirely. Where, like, there'd be a chapter that told this wonderful side story that often made me laugh out loud, and that was great for understanding the world the Rook is taking place in, but for telling a quick synopsis of the Miffany story... It got cut. Uh, So if you go listen to the book, there's going to be, or or read the book, there's going to be a lot of extra (laughs) to, to the story than what you get here. The novel opens with a letter addressed to you. The letter explains that you will have no idea what is going on or how it happened, but some preparations have been made to help you adjust. The body you are now in is named Miffany Thomas, but an alternative identity has been prepared for you if you choose to try and move on to a different life. The body is healthy, but you're allergic to bee stings, so there's an EpiPen in your pocket. The person now in Miffany's body, so now we leave that letter, so the letter kind of explains, real quick, I know this is going to be crazy for you. I love the opening (laughs) of this story. I mean, one of the quotes is, The body you are wearing used to be mine. In explaining what has happened. Uh, And then we cut to the omniscient narrator, and we find out that the person now in Miffany's body is standing in the rain surrounded by dead bodies. The new Miffany initially decides, I'm gonna go try that new identity. I don't wanna, (laughs) I don't wanna save whatever life, as Miffany Thomas led me here. But after being attacked again, they decide it would be safer to just stay as Miffany and try and figure out what in the world is going on. Fortunately, The old Miffany, and that's how I'm going to distinguish these old Miffany and new Miffany.
1: Do you not want to call her Miffany and Thomas? Which is how they I do just, it in the
0: book. I know I'm going to screw it up okay, if right. I do that.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, old Miffany has left a plethora of letters, instructions, binders of information, just anything at all that could be useful for a new person in her body to have. The Old Miffany was very, very organized, but not very assertive or v- adventurous, as we will find out. New Miffany learns that she works at the Todd, what was the pronunciation for this the year? She- Sheke. That's C-H-E-C-Q-U-Y. <laughs> The Shakai, a secret organization that deals with all things supernatural in Britain. The organization, like so many great fictional secret cabals, has organized its ranks according to chess pieces, and Miffany is known as Rook Thomas. I love secret organizations that use chess pieces. The Hellfire Club and X-Men Comics, so great. Yeah. Uh, the members of the Shakae, including Miffany, all have supernatural powers, although Miffany is loath to use hers, and she mostly rose through the ranks because she is an organize- organizational and bureaucratic ninja. I love this about her character. Like, she is, that is, she has a superpower, but her real superpower is she, how organized she, she is. She hates
1: her superpower.
0: <laughs> yes, but she loves organization, and she cleans <laughs> up the the Shakae and makes it run better just by being there. Uh, Her powers, her actual superpowers, are to affect the physical functions of anyone with whom she has skin-to-skin contact. And by... Affects the physical functions. Like if she touches someone, she could make them go blind. She could make them become paralyzed. Like she could shut things off that should be functioning. She could make things go that shouldn't be going. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, and she, but she never really because she hates it so much. She never really trained herself to use it. Um, so while many of the other people around her like are experts at using their powers, she hardly ever uses hers, and she's very uncomfortable in doing it, and isn't confident in doing it at all. Are you going to say what her role is as Rook? So as Rook. Uh, the Rooks of the Chiquet are in charge of domestic affairs uh, in Britain. Uh, and there is one other Rook. There's two of every one of the positions. Uh, the Bishops are international, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Chevaliers or the... Uh, uh, the
1: Chevaliers are international and the Rooks are domestic and they're generals. are basically yeah. a general.
0: But what are the Bishops? I'm trying to remember the, the lines here. And then there's also the Lord and Lady, because they can't call it a King and Queen because they're in England. <laughs> <laughs> And if there's a secret organization with someone called the king or the queen, the real king or queen will be upset. So they're called the lord and lady. Uh, and the chevaliers are the equivalent of the knights. Yes. Uh, if you're an American chess player, it is called the knight. So
1: you have the lord and lady, and then you have the bishops who are supervisors and aides to the lord and lady. Okay. And the rooks are domestic operations. The chevaliers are foreign operations. And the pawns get used by everyone. And the pawns and the uh, retainers are non-powered. So and- the
0: pawns are anyone with powers that's not one of the court. The court are the lord, lady, uh, bishops, rooks, and chevaliers. And then the pawns are everyone else with superpowers in the organization. But So she's
1: very high up in this organization. Yeah, she's she's in charge of all domestic operations.
0: Right. All right. So new Miffany though realizes that the skin to skin contact isn't actually necessary and when she concentrates she can see lines of energy coming from other people and she knows she can manipulate those strands of energy to harm or manipulate the you know the, the, the physicality of these people that are around her uh, new Miffany is cl- clearly more assertive than the old one though she does her best to not draw suspicion on herself at work so she goes to work She just <laughs> she, she reads the letter she has and gets as good a handle as she can and she just goes into work on Monday Though her first night sleeping in this new body, an old woman enters her dream and talks to her and realizes, "You're not Miffany," <laughs> and then leaves. Uh, the old woman does kind of say, "I owe you a f- I, old- I owe old Miffany a favor, so I'm not going to say anything for now. Uh, and so there's something weird that happened. Uh, at work, Miffany meets <laughs> her- it's, it's pretty much the only weird thing that happens from here <laughs> on out.: Yes. Uh, at work, Miffany meets her counterpart, Rook Gestalt.
1: Uh, gestalt Uh, gestalt okay Uh
0: who is a set of quadruplets who share one mind all four (laughs) bodies are active and constantly in communication around the world uh one body usually stays in the office and gestalt the way it works it's weird (laughs) like it says at one point they they tested and by alternating which body is sleeping the mind could stay awake for months (laughs) yeah (laughs) by just having you know and it's two twins there's Two uh, twin boys. I mean, two, like, identity, a set of twins. A set of twins,
1: and then another man and a woman.
0: Yes, who all have one mind between them new Miffany knows that old Miffany was betrayed by someone in the shakay so she's s- suspicious of everyone that she meets uh members of the court are called in to witness an interrogation the subject of the interrogation says that he was working for the grafters which causes everyone in the ruby panic and Miffany has no idea who the grafters are she just kind of goes oh oh my <laughs> she sees everyone else freaking out when they hear about the grafters and these are super powerful superpowered individuals and they're like the heads of a secret government organization, you know. And they
1: wanna they're like throwing up and crying because nope. they're so scared of what the grafters could be and Miffany has no idea. And what so it is. just gotta
0: act freaked out. <laughs> Uh, the Grafters, it turns out, are an ancient enemy Of the, of the Shakae Who were thought to have been defeated centuries ago They were Belgian alchemists Who got into organic manipulation Instead of like changing elements They started to change organic matter uh, And they started to build like crazy creatures And they tried to take over England In the 1600s, but got repelled Though it almost took out the entire Shakae To stop the Grafters from attacking The battle was just horrific It's legendary for how bad it was For everyone that was involved Uh, New Miffany learns that she was taken, that that old Miffany was taken from her family when she was a child, and then her powers developed, and she went to a sort of Xavier school for gifted youngsters, but she never felt at home there. And when I say, uh, uh, like, the narrative jumps, because often we we get a story with an omniscient narrator that's set in New Miffany's storyline, and then we get an epistolary chapter that is old Miffany writing a letter to whoever's going to take over her body, explaining some aspect of her past or about the shikai. So a lot of the world-building happens in these epistolary chapters, um, and a lot of the history information dumps that explain this world happen in letter form.
1: And Miphany, there's two ways to look at this. You can either say, it's poor writing because nobody writes letters, like the letters that Miffany writes to herself, or you say, Miffany is an incredible writer. Yeah. <laughs> Because these these letters, these chapters that feel like letters, they mm-hmm. don't really feel like letters. They just feel like long narrations about her past.
0: hmm Yeah. Uh, okay, so the court of the Chiquet has a meeting, and we meet the other high-ranking members. There's Lord Waddleman and Lady Ferrier, who are the king and queen, Bishop Grant Chester and Bishop Ulrich, uh, Rook Thomas and Rook Gestalt, and Chevalier Eckhart and Gubbins, uh, and... They're all interesting, but not necessarily for the, the story that we're following right now. But they're all Greek characters. Alrich is the
1: most interesting, maybe because he's
0: a vampire. Who went to war with the Shakae. And then as he's taking out member after member of the Shakae, he's like, This organization is awesome. I want to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> and so he asked to join, and the Shakae's kind of like, You're going to kill us if we don't, because yeah. you we're not slowing you down. And so they let him join. <laughs> and And when we say, like, superpowers, it's not like he just... Uh, like O'Malley just said, oh, I'm going to give flight. Oh, I'm going to give... No, they're so specific. And they're so unique. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of them is, like, a hyper-contortionist who doesn't realize, like, he's twisting his arm behind his body. And everybody's
1: always sick when they're around him. They're sick to their <laughs> stomachs because he's contorting his body in strange ways.
0: Yeah. Because Old Miffany is certain that one of these people wanted her dead, New Mifni is suspicious of everyone that she's she's seeing here. And Old Miffany explains why she prepared all these notes. So like new Miffany has this insane organized amount of information in front of her. And old Miffany says psychics are really rare. We don't really trust them in the Shakae, but multiple times in different settings, people out of the blue told me the exact same thing was going to happen to me that my, my essence, myself, my memories were going to be ripped away and someone new was going to look out of my eyes. And so I said, I'm going to give that person the best chance to succeed that I possibly can. Um, Because of... Because the chicaka now know that the grafters are around uh, the Americans get alerted about this so so there's an American counterpart to the chaka and we get a whole chapter of information explaining the history of the American Which one. Which I loved but I'm gonna skip over it. so good. <laughs> um, and so some Americans come uh, to visit and to gain information. New Miffany meets her American counterpart who's a very cool character but we're gonna kind of skip it over <laughs> skip over it. Uh, and while new Miffany is out to dinner with her American counterpart, all of a sudden, old Miffany's sister, Bronwyn, shows up and says, I think I'm your sister. <laughs> and uh, we learned that in England, the children, any child who demonstrates supernatural powers is basically property of the government, and they get taken away from their families. And when Miffany was nine, she got taken away from her family, and she, she had an older brother and a younger sister and her mom and dad that she never saw again. And this is her younger sister. And Bronwyn says, I've been looking for you, and I think you're my sister, uh, our parents are dead, we have an older brother, but he's out of town right now. Uh, and they kind of meet. Uh, then we go and we find out that old Miffany, in researching who in the Chaque might be a traitor, uh, she discovered that a large sum of money had been diverted to purchase land and build a compound in the south of Wales. So one the weekend she just goes, <laughs> says, I'm just going to go get eyes on this and find out what is going on. And she discovers a second hidden school for supernatural children, though these ones seem to be surgically altered. So it's not just that they're bringing in kids they're they're altering them and giving them different powers there. They're actually not bringing in supernatural kids. Yeah, they're bringing a, in regular and kids. And that's what, what she thinks at first, but and then she's operating on them. They're operating on normal kids and giving them powers. Miffany ends up uh, so new Miffany ends up on an adventure in which she takes a far more active role in the field than at any point in her career. So basically she never left the office before. Uh, the old Mephany. And new Mephany, like, this emergency happens, and no one else is around, so she goes to take care of it. And she quite impressively destroys a house full of sentient fungus, and it's really creepier and... So good. <laughs> and different than just saying she defeats a house of sentient fungus. Uh, it's a really cool... And she's cool with her fun. American friend, and
1: she's really cool too. Uh, yeah.
0: And she gets a clue in this adventure that makes her realize that Gestalt is a traitor to the Shakae. Uh, and they They go back, and the Americans and the British court are supposed to be having this very formal dinner. And at that formal gathering, she's like, "How am I going to play this?" And all of a sudden, she just yells out, "Consult a traitor!" (laughs) (laughs) Like, no coy. Like, I know that you know what I know. Nope. She just well because he has a gun, and he's going to pull it. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's, so she just sort of blurts it out to the entire room. And at that point, there's this awesome. So it's a room full of super powered people. Uh, and they're entourages, so some powered and non powered uh, people bodyguards around, yeah and- bodyguards and and helpers and attendants um and just a brawl breaks out, and you find out that not only is Gasalt a traitor, but lots of the attendants are are traitors as well and they they have graft like grafter abilities like they have superpowers that they shouldn't have because things have been organically altered around them uh so the the treason goes a lot deeper than anyone knew. Um, in the end, two of Gestalt's bodies are captured, two others escape, and most of the other traitors are killed. Um, no one on the Shakay side really died. Well, I guess uh, I've the a... The one guy does, yes, the, the the one g- bodyguard. Gibbons, what's yeah. his name?
1: Uh, a His Gibbons. name is Gubbins.
0: Yes, Gubbins, that's what Gubbins is killed. Yes. He's the
1: contortionist. Mm-hmm. It's very sad.
0: Yes. Uh, and then, uh, Miffany and her assistant, whose name was in- was it Ingrid? Ingrid, yeah. She's Ingrid. super
1: cool, too. I like her. I love Ingrid. Loved
0: Ingrid. Yeah. Uh, they travel to interrogate the Gestalt bodies that they have, though at times the Gestalt's mind's not in them. Like, Gestalt can leave the bodies behind when he, she, it wants to. So it's hard to interrogate. <laughs> uh, but they get there, and uh, they have a conversation, and Miffany comes out and says, I didn't really get a whole lot. And then Ingrid says, did you give anything away to Gestalt? Like, does he know about your amnesia? And Miffany had no idea that Ingrid knew anything was up. She immediately uses her powers to freeze Ingrid, so she she pauses, like, all of her muscles. Uh-huh. So Ingrid can't move at all, and she kind of grills her. And she says, like, how long have you known? And she says, well, I've known since the night uh, when I went into the office and I found Miffany Thomas crying, bloody. Weeping on the floor. Weeping on the floor, saying, my memories are going, they're disappearing. And this was the night right before the novel begins. And she explains everything that happened, that Ingrid helped Miffany down a a secret hatch that is in her office, and that hatch went to a parking garage, and then Ingrid said she ran home and locked her doors and waited all weekend to hear what had happened, and then she went into the office on Monday morning, and when Miffany walked in, she decided to go along. (laughs) She didn't know who she could report what happened to. (laughs) Um, Back home, Miffany gets a phone call from Bronwyn, her sister, and her sister just wants to go out. Now, the entire shakai is on lockdown there's there's no way out but now Miffany knows hey there's a secret hatch in my office that goes out to a parking garage so she goes out to party with her sister and when she goes out clubbing uh with her long-lost sister, and there's a great moment where her sister calls and says hey do you want to go clubbing and then just goes like self-defense class like what are we clubbing <laughs> like, and the sister's like mm, you know just going out dancing uh she's out there and uh She is forced into a meeting with Huffert de (laughs) Laven. These names are the best. Who is a, basically, sack of organic material that's floating in a fish tank while his new skin is being built. (laughs)
1: He's a skinless,
0: yeah, yeah, he's skinless. And he is a leader of the Grafters. And he meets with... Uh, Miffini and <laughs> That's so great he is so unstable <laughs> like emotionally unstable and the narrator does such a great job with like leaving like he, he opens by saying I just want you to know and I'm offering this so that you will trust me that I will not hurt you or any of your acquaintances no matter what the result of this meeting is <laughs> and then she's like I don't know what this meeting is and he just goes you will not talk to me that way <laughs> want to ever see your sister again <laughs> she's like you just said you wouldn't harm her I will do whatever I want you do not make demands on me <laughs> so and, and he's sloshing this disgusting this liquid all over like his, his yeah his organic ooze is just splashing every time he yells <laughs> He's getting totally covered in goop and then she's like I don't know what you want he's like give him back and she's like I don't know who and he says you will return Ernst van solution to me <laughs> she's like, who is Ernst von Solution? And she's like, I know you had contact with Ernst von Solution, and you will bring him back. And she's like, I... T-. And, and then the guy's like, you have three days. And then he kicks her out of the limo. <laughs> And then uh, we cut back to one of those epistolary chapters, and it's a story of old Miffany going into the office and getting the mail, and she's really excited to get to the mail before Ingrid gets there, because Ingrid always gets to the mail first, and opening mail is very exciting for these women, because <laughs> they're so organized. And she opens a package, and there's a human heart in it, and then, that's disgusting and creepy. But and no explanation. No explanation as to why she got shipped a human heart. It's just gross. And then we cut fat, cut back to Miffany, and uh, she gets a phone call, and it's the voice of... <laughs> of Hoffert de Lavin who like the phone call is just like uh, she's it's like, like one hour later or something <laughs> yes. and he's like hi this is Hoffert de Lavin she's like yes he's like do you have him <laughs> do you have Ernst to fond solution for me uh, and he's just this is one of my new favorite characters ever is Hoffert de Lavin <laughs> Uh Miffany is like, No, I don't. It's the weekend. I don't even have anyone working here. Uh He gave me three days and it's been one hour. It's, it's it's been an hour. And he goes, Okay, I will give you the original three days. And she's like, Three days from when you first talked to me or three days from right now? <laughs> and he just starts yelling at her again. And when he's yelling at her, like Ingrid walks in and she's like, Who is this? And she's like, and, and Miffany just kind of like nonchalantly says, It's a grafter. And she's like, Why aren't we tracing this call to find out where they're coming from? And she's like, We can Miffany's like, we can do that. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know that was an option. Know. <laughs> Uh, and so then Hoffert then, uh, hangs up, though, before they can do anything. <laughs> and then, like, ten minutes later, uh, the, uh, a peon of Han from the, it walks in and says, uh, Miffany, you just got a fax? <laughs> and it's from Hoffert de Lavin saying... We have released a small horror in Reading to demonstrate how serious we are. And so Miffany now has to go to Reading. Instead of finding Ernst von Schlusen, she has to go to Reading to deal with this small horror. She doesn't know what it is yet. And they go there, and it is... I'm going to describe it as an omnivorous flesh cube. Do you think that's a fair description? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a giant cube of flesh. That swallows everything yes and it's in a police station it's swallowing people and uh and it's just getting bigger and bigger and no one knows how to do it but Miffany goes in and takes care of it but she's so cool she gets inside she uses her powers once she's inside the cube she's able to use her her Uh powers to to take it out and again this is completely different from anyone who had known Miffany up to this point would not expect her to be able to do these things and members of the court it should be noted it had been scheduled for very thorough examinations <laughs> what is they,
1: what are they called very time consuming very
0: uncomfortable invasive invasive <laughs> and very uncomfortable <laughs> uh, medical examinations to ensure that they don't have any grafter additions to their bodies uh, since uh, gestalt was uh, a grafter trader uh, and so Miffany already had one and she knows that um
1: oh that's right she had her she had
0: her test the morning and in the then, morning,
1: and then in the afternoon, she had the flesh cube.
0: Yes, so and this now, is all she, still the same day. And so, in the while she was dealing with the flesh cube, Eckhart, uh, who was a bishop, uh, chevalier, chevalier, Eckhart had his examination, and he passed. So he said he's not a grafter uh, at all. And um, she comes, Miffany comes out. Uh, from dealing with the flesh cube and they've traced where the facts came from. They didn't get the phone call traced but they traced <laughs> the facts. And so she calls Eckhart and says I need you to send a strike team to this location I'm giving you. We think there's grafters there. And he's like well we have to alert the entire court. And she says no. Right now we're the only two we can trust. Right. Uh, so he says fine. I'll go take care of this. Uh, when she's heading back Miffney calls a meeting for the entire court. She wants to spill everything that she's like, like she's she's catching on to what's going on and she wants everyone there as she starts to explain what's what's happened uh but when she gets to the meeting the only person there is grant chester he is the traitor and he stopped the call for a meeting from reaching any other member of the court grant chester reveals that one of the students from the secret base that miffney had discovered uh wiped old Miffany's memories that mm-hmm. night so the the night where the novel starts and uh that student can Remove all the memories and just leave basically a blank slate in place. And the grafters wanted to test Miffany because he, she's kind of their worst nightmare because um, their entire skill set is around manipulating organic matter and she can stop anything that they've done. Right. <laughs> uh, and so they, that's why they didn't kill her outright. Um, and that student comes in and tries to do it again. And the student, we learn, is like just was a normal human and as an infant they started doing tests and grafting. Uh, and it, like his body is this perfect chemical balance that allows him to do this one thing which is stick his tongue down another human's throat and mess with their brains. Um, And he's doing that to her and she finds the EpiPen in her pocket and like she knows the chemical balance is key so she stabs the EpiPen into this guy's leg and his chemical balance is ruined and he starts to die though she keeps his heart beating, so that no one else in the room knows what's going on. Like, she, with her powers, wills his heart so to continue cool. beating while she figures out what her next step needs to be. I love that. Uh, and then she takes out everyone in the room. <laughs> Once she's paused long enough to figure out what to do, she does it. Uh, Grantchester runs away. Uh, the chicay is saved. Uh, Miffany learns that Eckhart did go kill... Ha- ha- Huffert de Lavin. Huffert de Lavin. So uh, the, the uh, grafters have been dealt with. And, you know, we end of story. And she's exhausted and she goes back to her office and she just wants to go throw herself down on the couch. And she opens at her office and there's a naked man sitting in <laughs> in her chair. And he turns and says, My name is Ernst von Sluschen. So <laughs> and it is wonderful because he says, essentially, I was a co-leader of the grafters and I need to tell you some things that are going to shock you. We have infiltrated... Your organization.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and?
0: And we are prepared. You thought the grafters were destroyed. We are prepared for open warfare against England. And my brother, though, is a bit unstable, and I actually will come offering a peace treaty. I don't want you to have to ever meet my brother and deal with him. I want us to establish uh, you know with Ha de Lavin Yes Halford. de Lavin Oh no, it's his cousin Hafford de Lavin uh-huh. he says, he says, I don't want you to ever have to deal with halford. de Lavin. I want you and I to make a treaty right now so that none of the plans that we've been laying for centuries come to fruition And she's like the entire time she's like, I'm so tired. I know all of this. I, it would be rude of me to, to say anything out loud. We've already dealt with everything. <laughs> It is one of my favorite codas to a book ever. It's so good, uh, and it just kind of rapidly sum, wraps up and says they did start to begin a treaty between yeah. the grafters and oh, the Shakae. Yeah. And my understanding is the stiletto, the sequel, uh, the protagonist of that is a uh, grafter. It's from the grafter point of view, oh. and it actually explains like the history that we got is very also oh, some more Miffany? I think she's a main character, but she's not oh. the protagonist. I
1: wonder and it
0: explains, I like, the, the history of Belgium and England in the 1600s gets told from the Grafter's point of view and it's completely different than the version that we get in the Chiquet, or in The Rook. Anyway, that is The Rook. And again... There are so many fun tangents so many. that I cut off, such as the quest of the Shakae to find a psychic animal. There is a legend of a psychic animal that will come, and Miffany always has to test the animals that get brought in. And finally they get a duck that will answer three questions that are ever posed to it. And it tells Miffany like, she says, am I going to be betrayed by a member of the Shakae? And the duck says, yes. And she says, uh, I think she says, like, am I going to duck- leave... Types, yeah, types. Yes, the letter Y <laughs> on a keyboard with its bill, with its bill, to the, say yes or no. That's all it can do. Yes. But but its answers are always. And correct. you only get three three questions. And you only get three in one sitting with that. But the best part is like she's she determines this duck can tell the future. This is the animal that we've been looking for for decades, and uh, this was the Lord's Waddelman Waddelman's quest was to find this animal, and he brings in this expert in animal. F- force telling and that expert walks in and says i need a moment with the duck and the expert walks in and then walks out he's like this duck is worthless and they're like what do you mean and she's like i tested it it's great he's like i tried to read its entrails and it told me nothing
1: <laughs> it killed the duck
0: <laughs> oh man and those are the kind of side stories you'll get if you go listen to or read the book, the book. and the writing is i would say top notch i mean it's really yeah this is a debut novel novel and it is a strong debut
1: and, and one of my favorite things that um, that he does in this book, in the writing, is he'll make lists of things, and they're like, um, I mean, it's totally exaggerated. It just goes, a list will go on and on and on and on and on of like super, possible superpowers. Or, or, or like creatures that have been found in this one random city in England. Yes. And they'll just go on and on and on and on and on. And it's like, it's kind of funny. And then it's kind of annoying, and then it's like funny again because it just keeps going. Yeah, and the imagination that's involved in something like this is, for me, truly admirable because I have no imagination for <laughs> thinking of things like superpowers or you know possible scenarios. I, I I cannot imagine the amount of fan fiction that is has to have been uh, sparked by this novel because there are a, a thousand different little tiny scenarios that are mentioned and then never fleshed out.
0: Right. I love the story that we have, and I love the the narrative that I had to try and summarize, and this is one of the hardest summaries I've had to write, but the strength for me of this novel is the world-building, which you don't get when you get a, you know, two-minute summary of, this book was like 17 hours on Audible, I think, something like that. It has to be hundreds of pages of text, and the world-building is just Done so well. And I love the trick that he pulls. I love it when authors find ways to do the hard thing. And the information dumps being in these epistolary yeah. letters that are written by old Miffany to herself uh, is, is a great way to establish what this world is and not have, you know, like weird, stilted conversations of people who should both know what's going on explaining what's going on yes, uh, in a way that no natural human conversation follows <laughs> which I, I mean this is a hard thing to do when you're doing right. a fantasy world I think it's one of the hardest things to do in fantasy and I love the trick that he found to be able to do that. Yeah
1: I, I think as I mean, as I said earlier it works as exposition and world building. I don't know how convinced I am. I mean there were there were moments listening to the letters where I was like this is actually a letter, but it now f- yeah. feels nothing like a letter because That's true. there's like dialogue, fully fleshed dialogue, mm-hmm. and things happening that nobody would write the, in a letter.
0: The one that stood out the most to me was uh, it wasn't actually a letter. It was Ingrid when they said, when Miffany says, What happened? Like, how long yeah. have you known? And Ingrid says, Well, let me tell you. And then it jumps to it sounds like one of the letters, but it's supposed to be Ingrid talking right. to her right then. And that was one to be like, this is not a conversation that's happening right now. It feels like a film doing a flashback scene. Right. Not the conversation that we're being told happened. So yeah. it, it it doesn't work 100% of the time. I agree with that.
1: But it, But I mean, it works. It works in that it, Fills the function. It does the function of what it's supposed to do, but it's not completely seamless. And there are moments where I found myself kind of falling out mm-hmm. of the story and saying, wait a second, this is supposed to be a letter, or this is supposed to be somebody just recounting something that they remembered. And nobody would do that with this level of detail and these kinds of descriptions of things. It just—it
0: sounds like the third-person omniscient narrator yeah, of a novel. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely.
1: But that aside, um, I was just totally taken in by this from the very beginning. Like the that opening scene with the letter and uh, it says, "Dear just, you." <laughs> it's just confusing enough to, to that, cause that like cognitive dissonance where you're, you're, you're not sure of exactly what's going on, uh, but very quickly it establishes enough of what's going on that you're like, okay, I'm in, I'm on board, I want to know what else is happening. Um, and I think sometimes uh, authors can e- either avoid that cognitive dissonance at all mm-hmm. at the beginning and they just say, I'm just going to tell you what happens from the very beginning so you never feel like you're lost. Or they let it go on for so long that you're like, oh, I never understand anything that's going on in this book. And I feel like the balance, at the, especially at the beginning of this, was really good to kind of string a reader right. along.
0: Well, and uh, an interesting thing happened partway through. Because for me, the hook that made me really want to know what was going on was who is in Miffany Thomas's body. Yes. And then you find out it's Miffany Thomas. She just had her memories removed. Did you think... I thought that, there was going to be a demon or an alien or another humans had their soul swapped out.
1: I thought that was what it was. And I thought that we were going to get old Miffany back at some point mm-hmm. and, and it never happened. And it, that brought up what to me is maybe the most interesting sort of philosophical thing about this book is that it's about identity and how do you know who you are? Mm-hmm. And this book st- states, I think really clearly that you are your memories. Mm -hmm. And that if somebody sticks to some lizard guy sticks his tongue down your throat and sucks out your memories, that the next time you open your eyes, the person that opens their eyes is 100% not not you.
0: you. Every psychic that warns her says that, uh, the lady of the court who visits her in her dream says, Mm -hmm. you're not Miffany, you know, immediately. And it does. uh, So this is another thing that as I was thinking about when I was particularly when I was writing the summary and I went back to the beginning, Mm -hmm. I was like, this is a very odd form of amnesia. (laughs) When their memories are gone, they still function like the new Mifnee functions. It's Jason Bourne, right? They they have they speak the, the language, they understand reading, they understand how the world works. Except they're surprised by the super- supernatural things that happen, which would have been the normal for old Miffany. Yes, so that was a little odd. To- like it works for a reader uh-huh. being put into this world, and which is why I thought this must be an entirely new being, soul, whatever uh, right. that's in because. The things that were everyday for Miffany weren't everyday for the new Miffany, except the things that needed to happen, like knowing how hotels work, knowing how ATM machines work.
1: It's a very convenient uh, form of amnesia.
0: And you can hand wave it and say it's magic and there was a lizard demon boy (laughs) (laughs) who stuck his tongue down her throat and this is how it works. Um, But... I, and you could say if he, if he was selectively
1: sucking stuff out, mm-hmm. that that would be something that he would want to suck out because there was a certain version of Miffany that they wanted yeah. to study, to Did study. To and
0: that's who, and that's yeah. who they got. Um, and, and it's, again, it's, Not something I noticed at all the first read-through. It was when I was listening through at hyperspeed to prepare the summary. I'm like, what happens in this chapter? What happens in that chapter that started (laughs) to stand out? But for a new reader that's just dropped in, I think it works perfectly to to pull you through and start to see there's new layers that are being revealed every chapter.
1: Yeah. So what do you make of this idea of that um,
0: memory equals self? So it's, I mean, you're going to be dealing with nature, nurture (laughs) um, aspects. Um, I can tell you, I have... I have four kids. I try to nurture them the same, I think. And I'm, we're not doing anything wildly different from one child to the next. And they 100% have some personalities that are entirely their own. Sure. That are coming seemingly pre-programmed <laughs> as as they enter the world. We're seeing that there's differences. Um, but I think absolutely, like, experiences they're having and things we're teaching them and, um, you know, the emotions that they're experiencing are going to be defining who they become even as I do see different personalities in my eight-year-old and my four-year-old and my two-year-old.
1: There are some aspects of Miffany's personality that do carry over, like her ability to organize, her ability to take in information. She's super smart before, and she's super smart after. And she's super smart in a certain kind of way. The thing that was interesting to me is, and you mentioned this, that um, old Miffany is super shy, super antisocial, terrified of her powers, when she talks about her experiences in the school, when they were trying because people recognized how powerful potentially powerful she was, and how unique uh her her superpower is, but she's terrified to use it, and it and everybody always talks about what a disappointment Miffany Thomas is because. Uh, because she never reached her potential. She never goes out in the field and uses her powers. And and, and part of it has... I, I, mean, I think it largely has to do with the trauma of being pulled away from her parents. At nine. At nine years old.
0: And just the particular way in which she processed that. As And a, also as a the trauma of her powers first manifesting. It happened, she fell. Oh, right. Uh, she got a huge, like a stick went into her leg, and she has a scar from it today. It's one of the uh-huh. things that is in the letters. Um, and it says her powers powers first manifested when the doctor looked at the wound and all of a sudden that doctor collapsed on the ground I think right. was paralyzed and the next doctor that came in to try and deal with what was going on went blind when they touched Smithy, right. and so made her scared of her powers and then the trauma of like having just done that to these other people uh-huh. Compounded with the trauma of being ripped from her family by the government, um, maybe not the best methodology. British government. <laughs> In- yeah, the Americans have a much better system. For
1: this. <laughs> it's interesting that somebody from Australia would write this novel, and that it would be about the Americans and the British, and not the Australians. The Australians never make
0: they, it. They're not mentioned at all. Yeah, interesting. And the Belgians.
1: <laughs> but but it's interesting that when you take when you take the trauma away from her that that early childhood trauma. Uh, that you get somebody that has some of the same characteristics, but is assertive and totally capable in the field and comfortable using her power in, in ways that are shocking to everybody around her. Um, and I just I think it's, it, I, I think it says something interesting about the memory and especially the memory of pain mm-hmm. and how it affects us. Which then leads me to think about um, just the role of pain in life, and how how interesting it is that we do we go to such great lengths to avoid pain when there's an interesting argument to be made that that our experiences with pain are one of the things that make us really who we are, and that we, if we were to avoid pain at all, you know, every turn, mm-hmm. then. Then, what are we doing or not doing to ourselves in our development? I think it's
0: <laughs> yeah i I know we in the past we've had conversations about like the highs and the lows, uh-huh. like the more extreme one becomes, the more extreme the other is going to be right and if you just float through in a calm middle ground, you're denying yourself uh-huh. um some very human experiences right, and often we try and protect ourselves. So much that we do deny ourselves the highs of positives and, you know, the lows and negatives by just building walls entirely, uh, you know, emotional walls that prevent deep connections with others, uh, choices we make to uh, to try and avoid experiences that could potentially be negative, not inherently negative, but just the potential of negativity, um, which it seems miffany the old Miffany had like she says she went to work and she went home, and she had no social life. Right. she had no real connections with other people. She never went on adventures, you know, no
1: attachment,
0: yeah, she had no travel- she never traveled for fun, she had no attachments to friends mm-hmm. or peers, Wolfgang uh, the rabbit, yes, one rabbit that was supposed to be psychic and wasn't <laughs> that ended up as one of her pets <laughs> um and then, like you said, we she gets the pain removed, and the new Miffany, the the biggest change. Besides the powers, which there is a moment that maybe says Mifni did it to herself to give her greater powers, Uh because as old Mifni is losing her memories, she says, hold on, I'm going to do something I've never done and maybe I should have done a long time ago. And she squints up, and Ingrid's sitting there. This is right before she goes down the hatch. She says, what did you do? She says, I did something to my brain. I don't know if it was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And and that may have been, like, altering the way her powers are going to work. What do you think that she did? I think that's what, like, released her powers so it doesn't have to be skin to skin. Interesting. I hadn't thought of that. That's what I was thinking. What were you thinking? I just thought that she
1: was. Um,
0: I, I don't know. I didn't think it didn't. It didn't strike me that way. Right. She can. I, I figured she can adjust organic matters. Yeah. And she did something to herself to make herself more powerful for the future.
1: Yeah, I thought that it was just like a. a, a that. Yeah, that she was just sort of mustering up her mm-hmm. strength to be able right. to do this thing. Um, I just think this idea of pain and is like um if one of your kids came to you and said, hey, dad, can I take this magic pill that will never make me feel any pain ever again for the rest of my life? You would say, no. No. (laughs) No, because pain is a really important part of life. Yeah. Right? And if you're going to deprive yourself of pain, all pain, then you're also never going to be able to really appreciate the highs if you don't allow yourself to feel the lows. But then... I think, this com- I think this brings up really interesting, uh, like, really practical.
0: Like, Miffany's pain had, pre- like, sh- we're saying you need pain, but her pain prevented her from living a yeah. uh, full life.
1: Yeah. B- but, like, so, is it okay if your daughter has a headache to give her some Tylenol? Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so then, if she's going to have surgery, then it's good to have anesthesia. An- 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 anesthesia. But there are some women that go into childbirth and they say, I don't want anesthesia because I want to feel this
0: experience, right? Like if I had to have childbirth like months ahead, I'd be <laughs> scheduling. <laughs> you scheduling anesthesiologist. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I think it's very interesting how just because of the, of the times in which we live, we can be selective about the kind of pain that we allow to enter into our lives and not in a way that nobody who's ever lived before us is able to do. And I think when I read something like this, and I see how uh, pain impacts somebody's just self, uh, I wonder what kind what kind of a person I would be if I were living in a different time period in which I had had other kinds of painful experiences that I have never had, mm-hmm. and there's no way to know right. that. But it's but 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 I also think there's no way of denying that we do live in a society in which we have eliminated pain from our lives, uh, in pretty significant ways. And I
0: think it's not just the physical pain that we've eliminated; a lot of emotional pain with the distancing that happens through the way relationships are managed through social media. Uh-huh. It's a different. You're going to have different emotional reactions than previous generations. Yeah,
1: I was at Barnes I, and Noble today, and I saw a book that was called something like i have to
0: look it up. And <laughs> I don't want to one say, one. like, oh, the way it is today is better or worse. It's just going to be different, you know, than any group before has experienced it. And it's a different uh, experiences. It's a different kind of reality. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's not saying that one was reality and the other wasn't. Like, both of these are realities. Right. Um, it's just going to be different experiences today.
1: So uh, I, I was at Barnes & Noble today. And I was looking at books about relationships, and this one is called "How to Avoid Falling in Love." and then it says with a jerk, but with a jerk is crossed out. So it's basically saying how to avoid falling in love, the foolproof way to follow your heart without losing your mind, meaning this is how to stay completely in control and you're basically you'll never be hurt, right if you're if you're not losing your mind then this is this is the sterile safe
0: a- a- a-
1: a- anesthetized way of dealing with relationships where you're always in control you never you know your heart is never broken because mm-hmm. you're never really in love right but at least you're safe mm-hmm. and i just think it's a really it's it's interesting and i don't think we often think about the trade offs right. of what we're giving up when we when we isolate ourselves from pain. And I'm not saying that you have to be like a a masochist (laughs) and go out and and inflict pain on yourself. Or seek out bad relationships. Or seek out bad relationships. (laughs) Uh, But it's certainly an interesting thing to think about. And it was one of the things that was sort of central in my mind as I was reading through this novel was just thinking about not only memory in general, but specifically the memory of pain, which seems to impact us in really powerful ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And how when you eliminate that, Pain from Miffany's past, you get
0: new Miffany, who is really, really awesome. Uh I think Old Miffany had a lot of awesome things. Like there's some yeah. pros and cons between the two versions. Yeah. Like how organized Old Miffany was is awe-inspiring. Yes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> There's hundreds of letters. Yes, and every jacket that she wore had copies of the letters that we're going to need immediately. Yes, and she was wearing a different outfit <laughs> uh, when when this event that she knew was going to happen. She didn't know when, but she knew this was coming. Which to me, that uh, the final letter, I think, it, like the last chapter, is another uh-huh. one of these epistolary chapters, and it says something really interesting about old Miphony uh-huh that I want to get into, where she says, kind of like, I knew because of. The duck and the homeless man and the 3,000-year-old Greek woman. And, you know, these other times where she was told the exact same thing. You're going to die, essentially. Like, who you are is going to be gone and a new person is going to be in your body. That I was predestined for something horrible. And there was no way I was going to be able to avoid this. That was my lot in life. And I had no control over that. But by writing these letters and preparing, I'm taking control of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give whoever it is that's in my body, the best chance for survival and to get back at whoever does this to me, essentially. Um, And to me, that was really interesting. Like, this idea that so many fantasy stories have to deal with where there's prophecies and predestination Mm -hmm. and what does that actually mean for our characters. And I love that final note that, like, I knew there's this one point in my life that's predestined, but I'm still in control. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to actually alter the outcome of what follows, essentially, the end of my life by choosing to take control of where I'm at right now.
1: Yeah, I like, um, I really like old Miffany. Mm hmm. But but wouldn't you say that new Miffany.
0: She's more (laughs) gentrified. She's. I mean, if we're going to start listing differences, she's much more, uh, confident in herself. I would say much more able to live a happy life. Mm hmm.
1: So, I mean, you were saying before, like, um,. You know, well, I mean, they're not. It's not that one is better than the other. They're just different. But I, I think I would say, I think old New Miffany has a better shot at happiness than Old Miffany. But
0: it's interesting because you like we were just talking about how pain defines. I us. know. And what gives New Mifini, uh, the better shot is removing pain. Is removing pain. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the
1: pain had uh, it had cripple- such a paralyzing, yeah, yeah, such a crippling effect on her
0: mm-hmm. that she wasn't living. Like she was what she was choosing to do was a very sterile form of work, right where yeah. where so many people involved in the chaka go out and have crazy adventures like every day that's right. what they do and when she, she sees all
1: rich in the in the club mm-hmm. and she's like, man, <laughs> he is certainly i mean he's a vampire, he's dead, <laughs> and he's living more than she is
0: yes, uh, and she's choosing a role that is bureaucratic when it doesn't have to be it never has been for any previous rook right. and most people don't mind cuz she is an amazing bureaucrat but think about like is a bureaucrat an adventurous life <laughs> no it's a yeah. it's a cliche yeah for being stuck right it's a cliche for like uh the, where the midlife crisis is about to come for someone
1: it's almost like um this this early childhood trauma is so huge and impacts her so much that, I mean, I think crippled is probably the right word. Like, she's no longer, I mean, she's since then protected herself from feeling that pain ever again uh, in such a way that she's essentially, I mean, she's crippling herself and and limiting her ability to find happiness because she's limiting her ability to feel pain, right? I mean, she's... She's making herself less vulnerable to pain, which means no relationships with people,
0: not going out. No romantic relationships. No romantic relationships. No warm relationships. Yeah, none. Yeah. And and in the past we've talked about uh, the study about happiness was uh, across 75 years, like the greatest indicator is how many warm relationships do you have. And warm doesn't mean romantic. It just means heartfelt and... Secure attachments.
1: Yeah. Like attachment theory would say you have to have these secure attachments. And she has none. She has none. Because the the significance of this early childhood trauma uh, put her in a situation where she has protected herself from any pain going forward, where uh, people who have not, I think, or Miffany, who doesn't have that huge early trauma uh, is uh, is willing to allow herself the risk of these s- smaller, less, maybe less significant moments of pain. Like, she knows that things could go bad with Bronwyn, but she is also thinking, you know what, I'm willing to give it a shot, because why not? What the heck? Yeah. Right? But she has no memory of being ripped mm-hmm. away from her parents. If she had, and Bronwyn shows up, she, I don't think she responds in the same way. I don't think she goes clubbing with Bronwyn. Yeah. She doesn't invite her over to her house, and they have drinks and, and hug it out.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and she doesn't form the friendship with the American counterpart. And even, like, one of my favorite subtle things that happen at the end, uh, as things are escalating and she's going to deal with the flesh cube, uh, and, like, she ends up forming a team uh-huh. of people who she's saying, like, you're hearing me talk about the grafters in a way that no one else can know, so you don't get to leave my sight. So you're here. So it's, like, her bodyguard, one of the pawns. The communication kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, and uh, Ingrid, her, her secretary. Uh-huh. But it feels like she's forming a superhero team right basically to go out and have adventures together and they do and it feels like something the old Miffany never would have done she never would have learned the names of happy sweet yeah, people absolutely not <laughs> yeah and, and when um, it turns out they're not but there's a point where we think Ingrid and the boy have died um, and we feel her pain and as like we for the especially for the communications kid it's like probably 50 lines in the entire yeah. book are dedicated to him but it feels like oh we just lost a great character yeah. that she had a real relationship with yeah. It's awesome. I really I really like
1: Miffany as a character.
0: Um
1: I like both Nephinis. I do too. Yeah. Uh but I I don't think that I would say that like
0: uh, I think new Miffany's healthier emotionally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, even if there's things I like about old Miffany, particularly that coda of the book where it's about her taking control of a destined death basically. That was for me one of the more interesting concepts it's, that were introduced in the it's novel it's very
1: noble like you you recognize the goodness in her mm-hmm. and um and i like that and i think that that carries through uh it's just yeah it's really interesting how you remove those memories and you get somebody who at their core is very similar and yet uh very different and it, I was so glad when Ingrid when Ingrid said, "So did you tell him about the amnesia?" Uh, because I had the thought so many times, like there is no way that Ingrid does not know.
0: Right? There were a few good red herrings that were just like things were suspicious enough that you're like, "Is this the traitor?" But it never like went too far as they're like, I'm waving you and telling you, look over here, that this is the traitor. Like yeah. like for a while I was like Bronwyn and like it's really convenient that her I older brother's it out was of town. Too. That she shows up right when she does, and her older brother's out of town, and so it's just Bronwyn and Miffany, and she's bringing Miffany out of the security of the building to go clubbing. Yeah. Uh, and but there was never like a big siren that was in the story, like, oh, this is this is the one you're supposed to suspect. It was just like as you're a reader trying to figure out who the traitor is, each character has a reason. Did you think you had it figured out? Or were you surprised when it was Grantchester? Uh, I was debating between Grantchester and Ulrich, the okay. vampire. Were you thinking the vampire do?
1: Uh, no, I didn't think that it was the vampire. I mean, the, everybody has at least one reason for you to suspect them.
0: Right. Even the lord, and, or the lady at least. I don't yeah. know. We don't really
1: get a lot from wattleman lord. Farrier, Waddleman, is just has that funny thing with the duck. Yeah. Uh, but Ulrich, certainly. Eckhart, I didn't want him to be the bad guy, because... Because I liked him, but I liked him because Miffany because old Miffany liked him.
0: Right. And you trust old Miffany, judgment. And I trust
1: old Niffany's judgment, and so I didn't want it to like, be Like, it's that not
0: kind. shocking when Gestalt turns out to be a traitor, because he creeps everyone out. Right. And he doesn't seem trustworthy. <laughs> you know, or he, she, it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't seem trustworthy. Um, the I will say, like, I wanted it to be a bigger moment. Like, it kind of felt like a letdown when we found out. This is just Miffany without her old memories. I thought
1: that there was going to be
0: something bigger. Yes. And to me, well, I don't know if it it needed to be something bigger, but the way it was handled in the story, Uh it felt a little bit like in Force Awakens, when it's in a conference call, you find out that Kylo Ren is Han Solo's son. I'm like, (laughs) is it really? It's like Snoke just drops it during one of the hologram discussions. uh He's like, your father, Han Solo, will be there. I'm like, wait, Okay, yeah. that's how we're learning this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it felt like it, like the reveal needed to be handled more dramatically uh-huh. or with more emotional heft than it got in that moment. And and it, like I don't even remember when we actually like it was one hundred percent confirmed. This is what it was just slowly it was like. So is this just her without her memories? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That was also
1: you I was kind of expecting like because of the because of the language that's used, like somebody new will open the eyes. You know, like you'll close your eyes and someone new will open the eyes that I thought, man, they they must be talking about like a completely
0: different consciousness. Right. Yeah, like an infant demon has been put in. Yeah, or I expecting for something to happen, and it never And, it and really there was even does. one line when... She's walking through Miffany's apartment. New Miffany is walking through old Miffany's apartment. And she says, oh, there's a book about human anatomy. I need to look at that and understand how humans work. Something like Uh that. Which made me think, this must be a non-human that's now inside. Is that the one that you were... Yeah. yeah, Oh, okay. And that's where I thought, like, this must mean it's a non-human that's now inside of Miffany. Yeah. And and it wasn't. I don't know if that line's just in there to try and add character. And it it led me down a path that wasn't intended by the author. I bet
1: it's... I bet if you said said that to the author, he would say, I don't even remember Remember writing that yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think it was just something i picked up on because i was so focused on that mystery and they kind of turn out to not be a mystery. I
1: think the other thing, I think maybe one of the reasons why there's not that emotional heft with Grantchester is that he's kind of a creep the whole time, mm-hmm. and she knows it. And
0: and there's so much emphasis on the fact that he's a creep, right? That he's he's married, but he had a bachelor pad in the office That's that was totally disgusting, like life. like a 1970s creepy man bachelor pad. Yeah, and he like he, every time he sees Miffany he's like, "How do you like my?"
1: It's super over the top, <laughs> yeah. And she can't stand him, and I think that that's part of the reason why. When it turns out that he's the bad guy, you're not like, oh, I can't believe it's him. If it had been, um, what's her name, Effie from the like the lady that's in charge of the school, yeah, who's so kind and warm, or if it had been Ingrid, or if it had been Bronwyn, these people that she has a real emotional connection with, I think that that it would have been more shocking. Or even if it had been
0: Ulrich, who. Who uh, was nice to her, but who is like a vampire, and you get like this. But it's a really interesting back, like you become invested in this character because uh-huh. you feel like there's so much there. I never felt like there was so much there for Cranchester. No, except yeah. that he's a creep. Yeah, and so
1: when it turns out that he's a bad guy, you're like, oh, yeah, figures. Mm-hmm. Um Where I think if it had been any of one of those other characters, that it would have been more shocking, or more sad, mm-hmm. or surprising. Uh, right. Than it was with him. Yeah, like we'd been given. But I'm glad that it's
0: him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad really it's him it, because he was it. a creep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like for every character, we've been given reasons why it could be them, but uh, also reasons you didn't want it to be them. We never got the reason you didn't want it to be Grandmaster. Right. We got the reasons why it could be him.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's right.
0: Um, and of these side characters, do you have a favorite one that stood out? <sighs> that's a really good question. I really like Ingrid.
1: Um, I love. I love to see their relationship develop, and uh, I think one of the moments that stood out for me with Ingrid is after it's after the after the big brawl with Gestalt, mm-hmm. and they, they they like hold hands. or there's some kind of moment of warmth between them. Oh, it's when the the because the bodyguard, the Scott the 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 Japanese Scott Scotch guy, uh-huh. the, the Scottish <laughs> Japanese guy that's the bodyguard, is killed in that brawl. Right. And they're both sad about it, and they just kind of put their arms around each they other, and they of kind of have a moment. Grief. And I'm like, I like you, Ingrid. And she gets kind of more cheeky as it goes on. Yes. Like, more willing to...
0: Well, it, it, and when we what we find out is, like, she knew something was up, and it's as her comfort level with the new person yeah. that is miffany increases, she definitely gets cheekier and uh, funnier uh, in her interactions with her. Yeah, and,
1: and it's because she's getting to know Miffany, new Miffany, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, can you imagine being in that situation when she shows up f- for w- work?
0: The, the last time you saw her, she was bleeding and going down a secret passage. And, and weeping. T- t- talking about her memories disappearing. And, and then and she shows away. up again.
1: <laughs> and you're like, I know something happened. I don't know what it was that happened. I don't, I don't know, know if
0: what- I should bring it up. Or are you going to bring this up? <laughs>
1: like poe dameron when says, uh, <laughs> how's this gonna work are yeah, you gonna, yeah, talk? gonna talk am i gonna, gonna talk <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh, but i love i, I really really love ingrid um uh what
0: other i like um i like Dulleridge, the rich i like the new mythology of vampires yes that where they're like you know we deal with supernatural and for centuries we've always talked about vampires because everyone talks about vampires but they're not real and then one of our agents finds out, oh guys. I <laughs> love that. The the vampires are real, real <laughs> and it's not like what we've it's not like the folklore. <laughs> I love that the Sheke did not believe in vampires. <laughs> yes. And rolled their eyes at the folklore <laughs> vampires. And then one agent finds out they're real and it's like, oh boy
1: <laughs> And the chameleon lady like that was such a great such a great character that has no real purpose for the story mm-hmm. except to just be there and and yet you
0: really like that character. Oh, also the 3000-year-old Greek. Yes, she's Greek. hilarious. She's so funny. And <laughs> and like she takes Sophony shopping and buys Smithany all these dresses and then at the very end she's one of the 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 people that tell her she's like you need to live your life to the fullest yeah. right now cuz you have the worst tragedy I've seen in a long time <laughs> coming your way. <laughs> You're going to cease being you, so enjoy being you right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and and i love that she like takes her shopping it's how she like let's go get you some great dresses let's go out to eat some fine dining and i i'm treating you because i see what's coming for you yep i loved it what are
1: you who are your favorite secondary
0: characters? uh probably the the, the greek and and old the vampire i just that chapter about the vampires hatching from eggs <laughs> like it's just such a different version of vampires and i love so much that moment where it says like the 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 vampires because they killed one of the eggs right Uh and and so the vampires declared war on the shakai and the shakai didn't believe in vampires until basically that day that the war started and the vampires just wipe out the shakai it's like the the shakai go into lockdown for like everyone is locked in rooms together and they wake up and someone's dead And they don't know how the vampires are doing this. But then finally one of the vampires is like, this organization is amazing. Can uh, I join? <laughs> <laughs> like, tearing you apart has been a good hard work for us. We've had to really research how you're doing this. Yes. And, and it's great. And I just love that twist of... And, and then also that no one still trusts him. Even though it's been like 200 years that he's been within... A, like there's well, because there's secrets that he won't tell them. Yeah, and there's still like this, uh, you guys killed a lot of us yeah. <laughs> 200 years ago. Uh, and so there's this great palpable tension every time he's on the page.
1: I like the thing with the Americans mm-hmm. um, and her American friend and when they go into uh, to fight the the fungus yeah and to see Miffany in the field and I that that whole thing worked
0: really well for and, and the history of the american version of it is so well thought out it feels like that should be an entire novel
1: to itself <laughs> yeah it's very it's very um uh harry potter and uh, fantastic beasts and
0: yeah well so many of these characters feel like O'Malley took enough time that he could write an entire book about this character. Like yes. that that 3000-year-old Greek woman, like she's there for a very brief one of the side chapters of old Miffany's life.
1: Yeah.
0: L- like one of the shorter ones, but it like she made such an impact and she's never mentioned again. Yeah. It, you know in the book and it feels like that's a character that could have their own, you know, life story as a series of novels. It's super it's carefully written.
1: I mean, it, it Despite some of the maybe quibbles of yeah little holes that we've been able to find in the narrative or things that didn't work for us completely um you you can tell that he cares about everything that goes on in this book oh, it's, just and really it's I think I've mentioned this before but i um I heard a or read something about Steve Jobs and design
0: mm-hmm. and how
1: um he said something about, like, you should design the back of the bookcase with the same care that you design the front. Or the dresser. It was a dresser, I think. Yeah. Designing a dresser. And he said, the same care should go into designing the back of the dresser that goes into designing the front that everybody sees. And I feel like when when um, when an author is creating these side characters or building a world, that you can tell the Steve Jobs kind of authors who design the whole entire story... Versus those who only care about the front-facing part of it, the, the protagonists and antagonists and everything else is just sort of what w- whatever is the minimal viable thing to make the story mm-hmm. move along.
0: One of my other favorite side stories was the dragon. Yes. <laughs> the yes, th- I totally forgot about that. <laughs> there's a punk kid at the school who like gets into some old records and realizes there's a dragon an egg in England and these things take centuries to hatch, and he figures out the exact day... That is going to hatch because he can he can communicate with yeah. the unborn dragon and and he's being super smug to everyone. He's like, I'm going to be the dragon master. I've got this. He's he's like, this is going to be the greatest weapon in the history of the <laughs> <laughs> of okay. And then like the entire court comes to see the dragon hatching because he's pinpointed the exact day. He's wearing a ca- big like robes, yeah, capes and he's he's created a name like a title for himself and for the dragon. He's already given yes. the dragon a name and the dragon is born and immediately eats him. <laughs> And Miffany, because she's such a great administrator, has the whole thing
1: completely under control and In case some it goes bad. Super powered individual that is floating up in the
0: air and just rockets down at this incredible speed and, and just obliterates the dragon. Yeah. No one else knew that she'd taken care of this, but she's like, This could go bad and so she had it. She was <laughs> <a> prepared. <laughs> But the setup for that is so great. Because <laughs> it's so long about... Uh, just the swarm. The it's swarm, the per, it's, it's, a, it's like perfect patient setup
1: for the punchline of a joke.
0: Yes. And it, 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 it took so long to set it up, but I loved it. All of it. With like right. his claw, he just swipes <laughs> off and swipes the kid's head off.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, man. Great book. Uh, we both really enjoyed it, as I'm sure you could tell from this discussion. And uh, as Todd explained early on, you could go get... <laughs> this for free. Go to com slash protagonist. You could get the audiobook that Todd and I listened to and both enjoyed the great narration and the great, you know, it's great text for the narrator to work with. But so don't listen with your kids. No. Uh, <laughs> there's a few F-bombs. <laughs> that wraps up this episode thank you for joining us please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in apple podcasts and please leave us a review that really helps us out if you're a new listener just note about our back catalog we switched up our format a bit at episode 13 and our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length but if you enjoyed this episode you may want to go check out episodes number 71 and episode number 73 which are both about the novel the night circus which todd identified early on as having a similar tone that is our only two-part episode, discussing <laughs> one text. Uh, I had not yet learned to trim <laughs> everything from this story. That was a hard one,
1: though. That's a hard, that's a
0: hard novel too to summarize. To summarize. Yeah. I trimmed a lot more from this novel than I did from that yes, one for the summary. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. Dot com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at Pod, at Todd K. Mac, at J Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash Protagonist Podcast. And that is where we have the best conversations with our fans. So please go uh, like that fan page and you'll be able to participate in any of those discussions. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You could buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by c- clicking the support link on our homepage or just go directly to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special QuickCasts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchase. Uh, Finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. From Audible. If you just go to Audible trial, no, yes. Oh, <laughs> oh I hate these reads. Uh. Okay, if you just.